Hello to those of you who are watching at home or uh, those of you who are at the church at our watch party. I'm Jasmine. I am a community chaplain and a, a seminary student here at Greenbelt. We are in the second week of a six-week series on healthy habits. We're looking at what a healthy Christian life looks like. Last week, Kevin preached on dealing with frustration. This week, we're going to look at life in balance. And really, I'm just going to be driving home more of what Kevin preached last week. So what comes to mind when you think of a life in balance? You might think of a good night's sleep, healthy hygiene habits, regular nutritious meals, wearing clean clothes. These are activities that we do to provide ourselves with a sense of cleanness, stability, safety, and health. They're healthy habits. Now, a life in balance relies on these healthy habits to support it. So if you have healthy habits and a life in balance, it's, it's leaning on those healthy habits. But think of when life gets out of balance. I mean, a show of hands for those of you who are in the building or type yes, exclamation mark in the chat. Have you ever faced hard choices, felt pushed to your limits, been physically sick, struggled with mental illness, Kids, you know what this is like, too. I mean, other kids are mean to you. Uh, school sometimes is hard. Are you bored at home? Are you lonely? All of these are experiences of life out of balance, and we call it crisis. I mean, in crisis, healthy habits become a real big struggle, don't they? If the habits persist, there is a lingering sense of balance, even if it's just like that much. But as soon as the healthy habits fall to the side, that feeling of balance crashes, doesn't it? Crisis has been a pretty familiar part of COVID, right? I mean, our healthy habits have been seriously challenged because our personal routines, our family routines, our, our national and global routines have all been interrupted. Now, even before COVID started, when COVID is done, we are going to still have this experience of crisis because it's just a regular part of life. Eight years ago, I was in a, a big crisis. Now, some of you have heard bits of this story before, and I promise I'll have new illustrations in the future. But for now, just marvel with me that God has turned such misery around. So in that crisis, I was exhausted. I was emotionally and physically drained. I was put off work because I, I couldn't even handle a dream office job. I was in full-out survival mode. I could barely manage healthy habits at home, like brushing my teeth, taking regular showers, wearing day clothes. I think some of you could ex uh, relate to that just from your experience in COVID. My boss called me at home during that time and asked me to close out just one last job. And as I sat down at the computer to write, it just felt like my body was going to quit. I was clearly out of balance. With this picture in mind of life out of balance, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 16 to consider what it looks like to move from unbalanced life into balanced life, from crisis into balance. 
So find Exodus chapter 16 in your Bible. It's the second book of the Bible. So Genesis is before it, not far into the whole book. Um, Spoiler alert. As we look at the messiness of life out of balance, um, we're not going to figure everything out just in one chapter. I mean, real life, right? Your, Your life is not going to get all figured out in 10 minutes of reading this. But this is invaluable for telling us where to head. So as you're finding chapter 16 in Exodus, just let me tell the story of what's happened up to this point. This story happens about 1500 years uh, ago, uh, before, sorry, 1500 years before Christ, about 3500 years ago, uh, in ancient Egypt. So 400 years before that, Israel was just a family. They were in famine where they lived, and so they went to Egypt to find food. They thrived when they got to Egypt. Their family grew exponentially, and all of a sudden, the Egyptians felt threatened by this immigrant people group. Read racism. The Egyptians forced the Israelites into unpaid slaver, uh, slaver, <laughs> labor, also known as slavery. And uh, in the earlier parts of Exodus, what actually happens is God frees the Israelites from that slavery. So Israel escapes out into the wilderness. They miraculously cross a large body body of water, and they suddenly realize they've got no food. They're back where their starving family was before they got to Egypt. So they're homeless. They're camping out in the wilderness with none of the comforts of their civilization at the time, and they're threatened with starvation. They are in major crisis. So the irony here is that they're free from slavery, and now their lives lives are completely out of balance. They are not equipped for this situation. Can you relate to that, not feeling ready when a crisis comes? I mean, that's why it's a crisis, because you're not ready for it. We're knocked off of balance. So let's read what happens in Exodus 16, starting at verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which was between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. They've been camping for a month and 15 days. Pastor Kevin would hate it. He doesn't like camping. I owe him five bucks. So verse two in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. (laughs) It's quite the accusation. Okay, so they're saying... Slavery was a more comfortable crisis than this one. I just want to go back to that old comfortable crisis. I mean, it's a valid point. There's no food. True story. But here's a bunch of people dealing with frustration like we heard about last week from Kevin. And how do they deal with it? Grumbling. Grumbling is defined as complaining with a bad temper. So the people of Israel, not just calmly alerting leadership to a problem, they're out to tear down the leadership if they don't get what they want. We learn throughout the whole book of Exodus and the following three books that the people of Israel actually grumble a lot. It is a habit. And where did that habit form? In slavery back in Egypt. 
It is the only way that they know how to deal with frustration with leadership. I mean, for 400 years, they've been oppressed by slave drivers, and you can understand them wanting to tear down that form of leadership. And then they don't actually know how to live in freedom and interact with leaders in a healthy way. So their grumbling is a bad habit born out of the hopelessness of slavery. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So God offers to provide everything that they need. And he gives them a habit to follow in order to position themselves to receive what they need. So in short, if they position themselves, they will receive everything they need. If they don't, they won't. Verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread that you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. So ultimately, the people's problem is with God. It's not with Moses. The human leaders can't give the people what they need. When you or the people around you are in crisis, have you ever complained against the leaders involved in that situation? Workplace leaders, government leaders, church leaders, parents. It is important to bring major problems to the attention of leaders, but what if it's not the leaders who have the power to meet the needs? If you've ever complained against leaders, especially in the church, the grumbling ultimately lands on God, and you're ending up dealing with God directly for the answer to the complaint. Kudos to Moses. He says, I'm powerless to provide what you need. Verse 10. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked out toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the, in the cloud. So the need isn't met yet, but God reminds them who's got the power and ate the human leaders. God is very present right there in the midst of the homelessness and starvation in the middle of life, completely out of balance. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, you will eat meat. And in the morning, you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. So why is God providing for them? So that you will know that I am the Lord, your God. God wants to provide in order to erase doubts about who he is and what he's like. The show of his glory in the desert actually wasn't the thing to convince them. It's the daily meeting of their needs that's going to convince them. Do you have doubts about God? No problem. Do you have needs? Of course. 
Do you know that God wants to meet your needs so that you will know that he is the Lord, your God? So let's look at how Israel comes to access this supernatural provision so that we can do the same. Verse 13, that evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So this is the habit that they've been given in order to access God's provision, showing up daily to get it. Verse 17, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the Omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. And Moses was angry with them. So they've been given this habit. Show up, pick up the food, put it in the container, go home, use all of it. Don't leave any of it overnight. Don't hoard it because there's going to be more. If anyone thinks they can skip showing up for the provision each day, they're in for a really rude awakening as these maggots show up in their food. So Moses gave them the instruction multiple times. And now can you imagine the frustration? He's probably thinking in his head, don't anybody complain to me about maggots. I told you what to do. I think parents might be able to relate to that. Now, I'm not condoning berating children or people in our care. All we know is Moses is angry, and we can understand why. So, verse 21. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want and boil what you want to boil and save whatever's left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. And it did not get maggots or stink. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to go out and gather it. But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. So here's an important dimension of healthy habits while living in freedom from slavery is rest. (sighs) Now, where did the Israelites get the bad habit? of working without rest and trying to go out on the seventh day to get what they needed. They learned that in slavery in Egypt. You know what it feels like something bad will happen if you don't work yourself to death? You'll miss deadlines. You'll lose respect. You'll get fired. Or kids and teens, you might feel like if you don't work nonstop, your marks at school will get worse and the adults in your life will be displeased. Kids are actually really good at uh, resisting that temptation to work chronically. But if you're chronically pushed to work without rest, you're acting like a slave. And kids, I'm not talking about helping around the house. That is a healthy habit. I'm talking about overwork. It's another bad habit born out of the hopelessness of slavery. 
So the healthy daily habit of showing up to receive provision and then resting, it positions the Israelites to receive what they need. Notice what God doesn't do. He does not take them out of the desert yet. The crisis technically still exists, but they're being given everything that they need. God proves who he is while they're in the desert. God wants to prove to you who he is, even while you're in the middle of crises. So it's the provision that God gives, which is bringing the balance Balance isn't something that the Israelites are accomplishing. It turns out that balance is them plus God meeting in the same place, even in crisis. So let's stop there in Exodus 16 and just consider what we've learned. Write this down if you're taking notes. First, bad habits are born out of the hopelessness of slavery. Even with a valid need, bad habits like grumbling and overwork, they're not justified when we're dealing with God. Two, God is the one who provides. Three, balance is you plus God meeting in the same place. The crisis is still there, but it's not hopeless Because God is providing everything that you need. So all of this leads us to our big idea. Healthy habits position us to receive all we need from God for balance. Let me say that again. Healthy habits position us to receive all we need from God for balance. Let's dig deeper into this. So let me try this challenge. I'm going to tell 1500 years of Israel's history in two minutes or less. So Israel's freed from Egypt. They get a land of their own and they thrive for a while under a few good kings. But through it all, something keeps pulling them away from receiving provision from God. The nations all around them are worshiping idols and idols were these things that nations thought were sources of power that would bring them balance in life. They thought that these idols had power to bring the rain or protect them from disease and sickness and death. Israel keeps looking over into their neighbor's yards, thinking, and I'm paraphrasing, wow, I wonder if my life would be more balanced if I worshiped that idol instead of God, because the crises just keep happening with God. Because they're seeing that crisis is the problem and that balance would mean no crisis. But this actually leads them to keep grabbing at magical solutions to stop the crises from happening. So at first, they start worshiping idols secretly, and they're trying to act as if everything is fine, and and they're doing the socially acceptable thing in Israel, which is showing up at the temple and worshiping God. I mean, this is, it happens today, right? We show up to church, and we're just, we're just, trying to, you know, show that we're in the right place. We're at church. It's a good thing. But then we spend the rest of our week spending all our time and energy and money on trying to fill our needs the way that we can in our own power. Don't worry. There is absolutely no condemnation for this. I have been there. I have lived years like that. So eventually the whole nation of Israel gives up its corporate habits of going to God for provision and they turn to idols. And eventually God says, and this is super sad, but he says, if you don't want provision from me, 
I won't offer it. At that point, the idol-worshipping nations sweep in, take over Israel, and Israel's occupation brings them one step away from slavery again. Their lives are completely out of balance, and they don't have the healthy habits to handle it. So guess what kind of habits I had leading up to when my life got completely out of balance. I'd spent a lot of time looking over into my non-Christian friends' lives and trying to pattern myself out of their habits of getting their needs met. I would binge watch TV. I would binge on the Internet for hours. I would binge on junk food. I would act unemotional in crisis. I'm tough. I can handle it. Stuff it down. I exercised until I injured myself. Do you think those habits were helping me enjoy balance? No. No. I was in desperate need of receiving provision from God to bring balance. So look up uh, John chapter 6 verse 32 with me. John chapter 6 verse 32. So at this point, 1,500 years after the Exodus story, Jesus arrives in Israel, and Israel is in crisis in this occupation. Several times, he miraculously multiplies bread to feed thousands of hungry people. And then these people start following him around. And on the surface, it looks like, hey, they're positioning themselves really nicely. Uh, They have this great habit of uh, going to Jesus to have their needs met. Let's read John chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. So we know this much from Exodus, right? It's not the human leader who has the power to provide. Awesome. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This is something new. He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who is that? Because what we're hearing is that our ultimate need isn't for the food, but for a person. And really, it just reveals that the people who are following him around are looking for free bread, not actually provision for what they really need from God. Read verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I mean, how's that for balance? Perfect balance, never hungering and thirsting. There is never a crisis. And then we find out that the ultimate provision to bring that kind of balance is Jesus. Now, everything that Jesus taught was meant to reinforce what God revealed in the Old Testament, in in the books of the Bible, before Jesus arrived. When Jesus pointed to himself as being the bread, he was pointing back to what God had done in miraculously providing bread for the Israelites in, uh, sorry, not in Egypt, in the desert. Jesus pointed to himself as the provision needed to survive desert crisis if god hadn't provided food and the israelites hadn't picked it up they would have starved in the desert if god had not provided jesus 
And if we don't put ourselves in a position to receive him, we will starve in the desert of our crises. I'm going to say that again. If God hadn't provided Jesus, and if we don't position ourselves to receive him, we will starve in the desert of our crises. So how do we position ourselves to receive Jesus as our provision? First, the habit. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 6 to ask God, give us this day our daily bread. Daily means habit. Do not think that anything less than daily will actually get your needs met. This idea of daily is Jesus reinforcing that Old Testament revelation. He's referring to God giving Israel their daily bread in the desert. He's telling us, ask God for the same thing. Why? So that you will know that God is your Lord who has the power to provide for you. So that you will know who the Lord your God is. So we pray, Father God, give us this day our daily bread. And then where are we supposed to show up? To receive Jesus as our daily bread. The doorway into receiving Jesus as our daily provision is through first letting him save us. So without Jesus, we are hopelessly stuck in slavery. We're stuck back in Egypt. Let me say this clearly. If you're not following Jesus, you are following something else that cannot save you from slavery and you are stuck in slavery. Now, this is going through some people's minds. I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave. People said the exact same thing to Jesus. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, everyone who is a slave to sin. Sorry, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And he's talking to the exactly the people who said, we're not slaves. He says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if the son, meaning himself, sets you free, you are free indeed. So Jesus follows that beautiful line by telling his audience, you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. This is the state of our world that when Jesus shows up to save people from their sin, people who are slaves to sin don't want to admit that they're slaves. They think, I don't need saving. I'm fine. I've got everything under control. I've got all the provision I need. But listen, some of you hearing this right now, God's spirit is working in you right now. And he's convincing you that it's really good news to hear that Jesus can save me. Because you're hearing that despite being a slave, there's rescue available for you. You're realizing right now you can't save yourself from slavery. You can't stop yourself from sinning against others, against yourself, ultimately against God. But here's the good news. Jesus died on the cross because people caught in slavery to sin hated him and what he said. He purposefully let people kill him. Because he was absorbing all the ugly sin of the world onto himself. 
If he hadn't let people sin against him in the worst ways possible, he would not have been dealing with a very real, disgusting, very ugly sin in the world. If you accept that he died for that purpose to pay for sin, then your sin is among that which he absorbed onto himself. Imagine all your sin that you've committed against others, yourself, God, all the sins that others have committed against you, all that debt paid for because Jesus died. And if your sin is paid for, God forgives you, declares you free from slavery to sin. So if you're ready to let Jesus save you, tell him right now, Jesus, I sin, save me. Ha, let your death pay for all the sin in my life and make me free. Amen. Because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Now, if you've just become connected to Jesus because you've let him save you to pay for your sin, you are meant to be connected to other people who have that same experience of being freed from the slavery to sin. Connect with us at Greenbelt. There is a little note that popped up in the chat window if you're online, and it says, I commit my life to Jesus. Click on that and then fill out the form so that we can connect with you. Let us help you live a life connected to Jesus so that you can experience the balance that he brings. As you're filling out that form, just let me pray for you. Father God, now put your Holy Spirit into this new believer so that they can experience the same power at work in themselves that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen. Okay, so you've received your first taste of bread from heaven by receiving Jesus. What does it look like to have a healthy daily habit of receiving him? Earlier in the summer, Kevin preached about spiritual disciplines. These are regular activities that just so happen to position us to receive our provision from God. A discipline is something you choose to do whether you feel like it or not, right? Israelites had to get up in the morning and pick up that bread and take it home whether they felt like it or not because there wasn't going to be any more later in the day and there wasn't going to be any on the Sabbath. When the time was right for picking it up, they were to do it then. I mean, this is serious. If you don't daily move to pick up this bread, you'll starve in the desert. That's what I'm saying. If you don't position yourselves to daily receive Jesus, you will starve in the desert of your crises. I don't give that as a threat. It's just a reality. It's like saying, if you don't eat food, you starve to death, right? It's just a truth. On the contrary, what a gift to be offered, all the provision that we need to thrive. So your prayer to receive Jesus for the first time was your moment of freedom from slavery. You positioned yourself to receive Jesus and accepted him as the provision that God gave. But you are not yet free from the habits of slavery. You, Christian, who've been a believer for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you are not actually yet free completely from the habits of slavery. It happens when we get to heaven, completely free. Right now, spiritual disciplines are what retrain us to get 
um, to get in the habit of receiving Jesus daily. They're retraining us after we've left slavery to, number one, acknowledge that we have bad habits that we learned in the hopelessness of slavery to sin. Acknowledging that we have bad habits. Two, spiritual disciplines retrain us to acknowledge God as provider. Three, spiritual disciplines retrain us to position ourselves to receive all we need from God. So there are a number of activities that we persist in as Christians, whether we feel like it or not, in order to continually receive Jesus as our provision from God. We confess sin. God, forgive me. We worship. Jesus, you are amazing. We pray. God, here are my needs. Please give me what I need. We fast. Jesus, make me see that you are worth more in my life than my food. We study scripture, we serve others, we spend time in solitude and silence, we celebrate and fellowship together. These are all spiritual disciplines. And yes, these are things that we do at church. Regularly attending church is actually part of positioning ourselves to receive from God. However, these activities cannot only be for Sunday mornings or whenever you're watching church online. They must be daily. Because you will not survive coming out of slavery unless you receive Jesus daily as your provision. So we're talking about a lifestyle, right? We're owning up to our responsibility to show up and receive provision. We're not relying on other people to do that for us. It's like this. If I heard other people talk about my husband... And they tell me stories about him, and they tell me how much they love him, and he does such awesome things. But if I never actually encounter my husband directly, what kind of relationship is that? I mean, can I have a relationship with my husband by just hearing other people talk about him? No. Similarly, do I call myself a Christian because I like being associated with a few nice Christians? Or because I go to church? Or because I hear that the Bible says good things, but I've never actually read it for myself. If I don't regularly position myself to receive from God directly, what kind of relationship do I have with him? Am I actually a Christian experiencing freedom from slavery and being retrained to act free? So Jesus is positioned to provide for you. Are you willing to position yourself to receive all you need for the crises. If you've encountered God once and you feel like you don't need Him, uh, you know, and need any more of those encounters anymore, it's like the Israelites trying to hoard bread overnight so that they didn't have to position themselves to receive anymore. Ah, it's good, I've got enough, you know, it's going to stay for overnight, we'll eat it tomorrow. I guarantee that your experience in the past will lose its ability to nourish you now. What God gave you then was for then. What God is doing with you daily is for your need daily. Let me suggest a few practical ways of encountering God daily. Reading the Bible every single day. Find a read the Bible in a year plan. There's plans online. There's paper plans. There's apps. The Version Bible app. Download that. It has read a Bible in a year plans. If you want a paper Bible, email Kevin. I'll give you his email address. Kevin at Greenbell 
greenbelt.church, Kevin at greenbelt.church. Email him, ask for a paper Bible. We will mail one to you completely free of charge so that you can get to read the Bible for yourself. Or another way of encountering, receiving from God daily is doing a daily devotional. This is just uh, somebody else has written a small study that um, you can read each day and you're reading a bit of scripture and you're learning how to understand it at the same time. Another way to encounter God daily to receive your needs is to join a life group. In the fall, they're going to start up. Life groups are a place where we enjoy the disciplines of weekly fellowship and celebration and study and prayer. Or in order to receive from God, pray when you first wake up in the morning. First thing you do, read a psalm from the Bible and use it to pray to God. Or just ask God for what you need for the day. Or just thank him. I'm alive. Let's go. Or try this. As a place to receive from God. Lie down for 30 minutes. Call it a daytime nap or right before you go to bed. And then just listen to worship music. Or Christian soaking music. And every time there's a distraction, just turn it back to God. If you need, you can say the name of Jesus out loud. Distraction, Jesus, right. Oh, I need to do, nope, Jesus. I'm just spending my time with him right now. Now, reality, right? If you don't feel any desire to let Jesus provide for you through spiritual disciplines, would you be willing to just let him implant that desire in you? I mean, this whole thing about healthy habits is not actually about you being strong enough to do it by yourself. It's about God doing it in you. When I was in crisis, I couldn't control my eating habits. I craved a lot of bread and candy and chocolate. And these were my bad habits born out of the hopelessness of the slavery that I'd been in. I couldn't save myself. But I sure knew I had a problem because the fatigue and the constipation and the muscle and joint pains and skin issues all started to explode. And I prayed a desperate prayer. God, change the way that I eat. And I won't even go into the crazy journey that ensued. But long story short, God changed all of my eating habits and actually healed my food allergies and sensitivities along the way. Do you want him to do something like that in you? Do you need God to implant in you a desire to position yourself to receive from him and empower you to move? Pray with me. Jesus... I need you. Change me to want to show up to receive you as my provision. Empower me to move. Amen. So with that, let's position ourselves right now to receive what we need from God as we worship. As we intentionally welcome his presence and our glory His presence and glory in our midst as we worship him.